effect. Oh my goodness. So this includes the whole circular line. Yes. The circular line is only partially built. Plus additional lines. Plus additional I'll lines. I'll say 300. Ooh, that's a big number. I'm going to say... I'll say 200. 200? Yeah. Wow. That's exciting. So 286 many stations. Did you see how that that's number great. just blew up? Nelly, you were so close with that. 300? Yeah, I figured why not double, right? <laughs> close to 300 stations. 286. That's uh, That includes light rail lines. And it also, again, it includes the airport MRT line. What's crazy is that uh, because the Taoyuan uh, MRT line is also under construction, so not only are you going to connect... Taoyuan to Taipei to Jilong. Whoa. Yeah, so like you can go from, I guess, almost middle Taiwan to, to the northern point. What's this all about? Why are they doing that? What's going on here? It's Curious John. What is he curious about today? Bordeaux, Napa, Central Taiwan? If it seems to you like one of these names doesn't belong, you're not alone. There are many famed wine-producing regions around the world, but you won't find any of them in Taiwan. So it may come as a surprise to learn that Taiwanese wine not only exists, but has won global awards. Over the past few years, a small Taiwanese company called Waitstone has created a range of wines worthy of well-heeled VIPs and even heads of state. And you don't have to be a wine connoisseur or even drink wine at all to appreciate the remarkable story of how these wines came to be. Here with us this week to share that story is Waitstone's Sean Huang. Taiwan has had grapes suitable for making wine for a long time, since Taiwan's period under Japanese colonial rule to be specific. That lasted from 1895 to 1945. Japanese agricultural researchers used Taiwan as a lab, a place for experiments, including in the growing of grapes. After World War II, Japanese rule ended and the researchers left, but grape growing continued. In fact, it went into overdrive. In the 1950s, the new post-war government gave farmers major subsidies for growing grapes, and many farmers found the money too good to pass up. In this era of rapid economic growth, quantity was king. The government paid by weight, and farmers would even compete with their neighbors to see who could grow the most. Many of these grapes went into wine production. By all accounts, the product was no good. For one thing, the race to produce in bulk meant that grape quality was ignored. Farmers also worked their vines hard, even forcing them to yield twice a year. Given Taiwan's climate, this was technically possible. But for the vines, this was taxing, and as a result of all that overwork, the grapes that they produced had little flavor. Finally, there was the fact that the government imposed a monopoly on alcohol production, meaning there was no competition. The goal the government had was to produce as much of everything as possible, with no concern for quality. In any case, no one noticed much. The grapes had been imported, but wine-drinking culture had not, and few Taiwanese people back then would have ever tasted very much wine. During the 1990s, though, the subsidies stopped coming. 
And Taiwan joined the WTO in the early 2000s, meaning the alcohol monopoly was history. The government now reversed course, encouraging farmers to chop down their grapevines and plant some other type of fruit instead. Once again, farmers found the subsidy money too good to pass up, and they got to chopping. Today, only a small fraction of Taiwan's grape-growing land remains. At their height, grapes for winemaking may have covered as many as 5,000 hectares of Taiwanese farmland. But these days, that figures down to fewer than 40 hectares, as far as the Waitstone brand has been able to determine. Enter Waitstone's founder, Ben Yang. His job was to promote Taiwanese agriculture, and he went abroad to places like France, showing off Taiwan's fruits at trade shows. He noticed something, though. Taiwan produced world-class fruit for eating, but European countries added value to their fruit by turning it into something else, something like wine. Mr. Yang knew that Taiwan's fruit also had that kind of potential. Taiwanese fruit is something that Taiwan's people are immensely proud of. Mr. Yang began to dream of creating a Taiwanese wine and thereby putting Taiwan on the map. And he wasn't crazy. He'd seen firsthand what Taiwanese farmers were capable of and how well they understood their land. Taiwan's long been known for producing other things like world-class tea. And in recent years, coffee and even chocolate grown here have found success. Taiwanese alcohols like whiskey and beer made from local produce have found international fame too. Still, to many, the idea of a world-class Taiwanese grape wine seemed like a bit of a stretch. The island has a much wetter and hotter climate than most big wine-producing regions, they said. And even if Mr. Yang succeeded, they said, Taiwanese people wouldn't buy the product. For a group of Mr. Yang's close friends, though, it was clear that Mr. Yang was uniquely situated to make this dream happen. And if he didn't do it, no one else could. He may not have been a wine expert, but in his years promoting Taiwanese agriculture, Mr. Yang had developed a wide range of contacts, from government agriculture offices to university agriculture departments, and of course among the farmers. These contacts had the making of a top-notch team, and only Mr. Yang could bring them together. So Mr. Yang did. One of his contacts, a professor of agriculture, had had a dream similar to Mr. Yang's and had spent part of his career breeding wine grapes suitable for Taiwan. In 2009, Mr. Yang tasted one of them. This was a strain of grape the professor had recently developed. It was a white wine grape called simply Taizhong Number no. 3 at first. Not the most catchy name, and the grapes were small too. But Mr. Yang found that they were bursting with notes of lychee and other tropical fruits. Mr. Yang would buy the patent for this grape variety and rename it Musang Blanc. This combines the beginning of the word muscat, the grape variety that gives it its DNA, with a Hokkien Taiwanese word for the number three. Remember, it was originally called Taizhong number three. Tack on the French word for white, and you've got yourself a name that's anything but bland. Mr. Yang would spend the rest of his life trying to prove that wine made from local grapes like these could amount to something in the wine world. Mr. Yang's team went to work. The core team spent two years studying in Napa, California. Meanwhile, Mr. Yang bought up a plot of land for grape growing in Taiwan's central Zhanghua County. 
He dubbed it the Puyen Estate. In 2014, the first grape harvest came. From there, things expanded. Mr. Yang bought another estate, this time in Taiwan's geographical center, in the rich and fertile Puli area. There, a team of experts from Napa came to assess the land he'd purchased, digging pits to study the soil. While digging, they found the objects that would give Mr. Yang's company its peculiar name. These were weight stones, stone weights of a uniform size deliberately carved by prehistoric people with notches to attach to fishnets and weigh them down. The archaeologists Mr. Yang reached out to about these finds explained that Taiwan's heartland had once been a gigantic lake, a lake that's since dried up, leaving today's Sun Moon Lake as its only remnant. Since these objects came out of the same soil that sustains the vines, the English word Waitstone seemed like an appropriate name for the company, tied as it is to the very land that produces the wine. In 2017, the first batch of wine was ready for the market. But sadly, Mr. Yang never got to taste even a sip of the fruits of his labor. He had passed away in 2016. It was now up to his daughter, Vivian, to take over and carry on his legacy. From a young age, Vivian had lived abroad, in Japan and the UK, and later in Brazil. Like her father, she had no particular background in wine. But before his passing, Mr. Young had called her and her husband back to Taiwan to help out with a new business. Taiwan was a place she barely knew, and a place she didn't feel much of a connection with. Now, she would be helping to cultivate its very soil. She's been at the helm since her father passed away and says that giving her a chance to get to know her homeland in such a profound and direct way has been her father's greatest gift to her. So that's the story of how Waitstone got its start. But there's a lot more of the company's story to tell. How exactly did Mr. Yang overcome the special challenges Taiwan presents to would-be winemakers? Then, in addition to the challenges of land and climate, there were difficulties in getting farmers on board with the project. How did those issues get resolved? And of course, finally, we have to talk about the company's abrupt rise to fame and its well-heeled clientele, an exclusive club that's in on the secret that is wine made in Taiwan. I'm Curious John, and I'll see you again for part two next week. Not since I was 16 years old have I been this nervous getting behind the wheel of a car. That's right, I'm talking about taking a driver's test. Recently, I got the opportunity to host a TV show that requires me to drive a car. So I finally did what I should have done 17 years ago. I went and I got my Taiwanese driver's license. I'm Andrew Ryan, and in today's Ear to the Ground, I'm going to share a sound with you that's kept me up at night for several weeks. An ear to the ground. That's the noise that's been populating my nightmares. But we'll get back to that in just a moment. First, I have to pass the written test with an 85 out of 100. 
Fortunately, all of the questions are online, so you just have to memorize all the answers. But unfortunately, there are 1,400 questions. That means a lot of studying. Now, some of those questions are pretty easy, like this one. Although vision, hearing, and judgment all become impaired when drinking alcohol, alcohol makes people feel good. Therefore, it's okay for people to drive after drinking. Of course, that's false, right? But then there are questions like this one If parking is prohibited on a road, one, drivers may not park temporarily, but can park there long term anytime. Two, drivers may not park long term, but can park temporarily. Or three, neither temporary parking nor long term parking are allowed. So, If parking is prohibited, then I'm guessing the correct answer must be three. Neither temporary parking nor long term parking are allowed. What? Oh, it turns out that if parking is prohibited, you cannot park long term, but you can park temporarily. It's when they ban temporary parking that you're not allowed to park at all. Well, I managed to get a pretty decent score on the written test, and having already passed the health check and paid my fee, I head down to take the road test. In the waiting room, a bunch of nervous looking people are watching a video of the road rules. Then the examiner calls my name and we go out and get into the car. Him in the driver's seat, me in the passenger seat. He drives us to the beginning of the course and we switch places. And the test begins with me opening the door to get in the car, which is trickier than it sounds. You see, as of July 1st, 2013, there are special rules for boarding your vehicle. You have to open the door part way, look to the left and the right, and then open it the whole way. If you fail to do so, they take off 16 points. Do it wrong a second time at the end of the test, and you automatically fail. For the road test, you have to get a 70 out of 100. But opening and closing the door is just the easy part. The hard part is staying inside the lines. If you even touch a line with the wheel of your car, then you'll hear this. Seems pretty reasonable to expect you to stay inside the lines, right? Well, imagine parallel parking by simply backing in in one shot. No adjustments, no pulling forward are allowed. Or imagine driving into a tight S shaped curve and then backing out of it. If you hit the line driving in, it's an automatic fail. So that's the sound that kept me up at night for weeks. Why weeks, you ask? Well, it's because I failed the test the first time around, on a technicality at that, and I had to wait seven days to take it again. And that's when I began having nightmares about parking spaces that shrink as you try to park in them. The good news is, I passed the road test the second time around, and in a stick shift, too. No stalling, no rolling backwards on the hill, and nope, none of those dreaded sirens. With an ear to the ground, I'm Andrew Ryan.
pull yourself together already. It's time to feast! Sit down at the table with Andrew Ryan and Ellen Chu on Feast Meets West. Hello, welcome to the feast. Welcome to the feast. This is Andrew Ryan. And this is Ellen Chu. How are you there, Ellen Chu? I've been very good and very busy because, you know, this is the month of so many things going on. Like the birthday of our, you know, nation. And also there are so many different kind of like, you know, occasion like Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Mm-hmm. You know, everything. All at once, And man. me meeting up with you, recording. Oh, the most the important most thing. The most important occasion of the month. Um, naturally, <laughs> of course. Ooh. So last weekend was National Day. Did you do anything special? I saw you were hosting yes. an event, right? Yes, I was hosting the National Day. Uh, it's kind of like the celebration uh, concert. And it was held by Keelong, you know... Uh, City? City, yeah. Okay. Well, and, and it's wh- by the port. Oh, so it was like a big night concert or what? It was a big night concert and it was amazing because, you know, Keelong for people, you always think, you know, everything is like so narrow, you know, small streets and it's a small city, you have to say, right? I'd say it's a pretty small city. But, you know, hosting on that day because we were by the harbor, it felt, you know, somehow that Keelong was quite big because we had a huge cruise ship, you know, standing by by the harbor and once the concert was kicked off it was like you know launching off and it was beautiful it was so it was like the beginning of the journey for the uh, cruise ship yes. setting sail yes. where and was there, it going I don't know there was people on it it should be going to like Penghu Jingmen or one of the places that's like hot spot right now because wait don't the, say hot spot Ellen Chu it sounds like a hot spot for COVID-19 you oh. mean a, Travel hotspot. Travel hotspot. Okay. (laughs) Got to be aware now, right? Because actually the government, you know, after COVID-19 is, you know, booming in the beginning and they wanted to promote tourism still. But, you know, Taiwan was okay. Mm-hmm. And we're pretty safe, you know, within Taiwan. You know, Taiwan's probably one of the only places in the world that still has cruises, I think. I know. I mean, so otherwise in the rest of the world, it's kind of crazy. Like bar hopping, they're doing like, you know, island hopping. That's fun. Yes. And maybe there's drinking involved with that, too. <laughs> mm, I'm sure there will be. You know, anything <laughs> sure. with tourism, anything with fun, you know. And we're very fortunate, actually. So did you get a big crowd for the concert that night? Yes, I heard. Well, you know, it was dark, you know, in the audience area, but, you know, I couldn't see the end of it. I heard there was like 50,000 plus people. 50,000 plus people. That's crazy. It's crazy. So, you know, they, in the middle of the program, they sent out, sent out like a cue card to us and telling us to announce it, you know, that this broke the record of National Day event. Well, because nobody has anything else to do. I know. <laughs> I mean, no offense. I'm sure they were there for you. Exactly. So, you know, I felt like I was superstar that night, you know, along with President Tsai. You are a superstar. What are you talking about, Ellen Chu? I know, but you know, the spotlight should be her on that day. Right, right. right? Well, you also had uh, pop stars too, right? Yeah, we had some uh, pop star and some rock and roll bands. You Who'd know, you have? Out. Anybody know? 911. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, it's kind of sensitive for people to be appearing on the National Day event celebration concert. So, you know, it's usually, you know, the same group of people, strangely. 
Mm-hmm. There are young ones, you know, like Lang Ren Sha Oshang. Do you know that? Don't know. Program. There mm-hmm. is this game show where it's called Lang Ren Sha, which is like the wolf man killing people. Uh huh. And the two young people, you know, the, the two young stars were the host, you know, in there were part of the show too. It's all very confusing to me, Ellen Chu. I don't. I don't really. You don't really watch TV. You don't really follow, except for me, right? I just follow you, Ellen Chu. You know that is so the only, sweet. The only so person touching. I need to follow, really. I mean, <laughs> no, nobody else really matters. Well, you know, it is true. <laughs> it is true. I mean, we're we're clear on that, so everything's okay. I know, but you know, it was a beautiful evening. I have to say, well, nice that's day. good. Not and too hot, good weather. not too cold. Yeah, yes. very good. Yeah, I saw the pictures. It looked like you were having a lot of fun. Yes, amazing. Yeah. And the thing is that you know, because Keelong is known for rain, mm-hmm. it's the rainy so city. So the mayor actually told us that prior to the event, you know, the night, the day before, he went to all the temples to pray for good weather. Yeah. Yes, all of it oh, in, wow. in the vicinity of Keelong City. Just like hedge your bets, right? I know. Like whoever's uh, in charge that day. Exactly. <laughs> it's very important. He doesn't know who is on duty on that day. Well, so for me this past weekend, one of the things that I was doing was uh, I went out at nighttime to look at a lot of the buildings that were beautifully lit up. Mm. You know, uh, we should explain. So the National Day of Taiwan is actually the National Day of the Republic of China, mm-hmm. which was founded in China in 19. 19- it began in 1912. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, I was looking at all these beautiful buildings, like the presidential office building, um, oh. all of the government buildings, the Chiang Kai-shek Memorial, mm-hmm. and they put on special lights um, over the weekend. So, among all those lit buildings, mm-hmm. which one would you say is the best looking one that day? Well, I have a particular fondness for the Grand Hotel, mm-hmm. right? Because that's uh, Taiwan's first five-star hotel, mm-hmm. and it's located just in the backyard of uh, Radio Taiwan International. It's kind of like our, you know, close-by neighbor. Yeah, and it's up on a mountain and overlooking the city, and it's really, it's really grandiose, mm-hmm. I have to say, and with the, all the lights on, because they don't usually turn all mm-hmm. the lights on. Mm-hmm. Um, they have the whole roof line lit up. It's it's gorgeous. All right. And in fact, there's a big connection between the Grand Hotel and the person we're going to be talking about in today's show. Really? Yes. What a coincidence. What a coinky dinky, Ellen <laughs> Chu. So um, I heard, I had a friend who actually did a little tour of all the ROC landmarks in mm-hmm. Taiwan, went to the former residence of Chiang Kai-shek, uh, mm-hmm. And during a trip to the Grand Hotel, he sampled something called Hongdou Songgao. Have you heard of this? Oh. It is a red azuki bean glutinous rice steamed cake. I think the songgao is kind of like white, right? It's white. That and is then correct. it has the uh, red bean paste. It has yes, red I bean. I think yeah. I had it, but very long time because my dad he loves songgao. Really? Uh huh. Well, your dad isn't the only one that loves songgao. Uh, the other person who's actually very famous for loving it is Song Meiling. Oh. Who is the uh, first lady? First lady of the Republic of China. Mm-hmm. Married to Chiang Kai-shek. She served as first lady for decades. She's like the first first lady. First first lady. Right? That's right. And we're going to be talking all about her and this red bean cake, which, Uh uh, spoiler alert, I actually made one this morning. Oh. Made one. 
for you. Oh. You're going to be the first lady of today's show. Thank you. I, I've i been the first lady, the first first lady of this show all the time. <laughs> yay, yay, yay. Uh-huh. And we're going to also be talking about the connection to the Grand Hotel. Okay. So when are you going to build me a hotel? Um, Give me a couple days. All righty. <laughs> Let's go into our menu first. Okay. In our first course, we'll tell you all about Song Meiling, the wife of Chiang Kai-shek, and the palace she built in art in back of the backyard of RTI. That's right, RTI's backyard. In our second course, I'm going to head into the Feast Meets West Test Kitchen to recreate Song Meiling's favorite cake. And in our third and final course, we'll be sampling that sweet treat right here in our studio. That's right. But we're going to start off with a song, and it is a song that should impart a feeling of history. Oh, and this is a song that, you know, really uh, highlights an island that i just been to, Lüdao. You know what? It's interesting about this. It's called Lü Dao Xiao Ye Chu, or the, uh, I guess, the melody of Green Island. Mm-hmm. I learned two days ago that Lü Dao is actually a reference to Taiwan, not to Green Island. Ooh, so it has always been green. It has always been green. <gasps> oh my. <laughs> we just unveiled the secret. That's right. We cracked the code. Okay. So this is from 1954, which is right around the same time the Grand Hotel was built. Mm-hmm. And it's by... Zi Wei. My story to come when the feast continues. Beautiful melody, actually, you know, it's sung by many, many famous artists. Even like, I think Deng Liqing. She did. She, you know, covered this, and you know, Teresa Tang. Right. There's many uh, new artists, you know, trying to cover this too. Absolutely, it is a it is a very well known song in Taiwan. Mm-hmm. So we're going to tell you all about Song Meiling, uh, who was married to Chiang Kai-shek. I didn't realize this. She was actually his second wife. Mm-hmm. She was the first lady of the Republic of China. Mm. Um, they never had kids together. 
yeah, actually, they never did. And I think, you know, well, if they didn't have, oh, that's right, because Jiang Jingguo, the son of Chiang Kai-shek, was actually, you know... The son of Mao the Fumei. Son of, yes, another lady. That was the first uh, wife of Chiang Kai-shek. And he actually got a divorce before getting married to Song Meiling. Wow. Interesting, right? Interesting. Because I think he was Buddhist, but she was Christian. And so her mm-hmm. parents were very much against um, her getting married while okay. they were still married. Well, you know, she was born on March 5th, 1898 in Shanghai. She is a Pisces. <laughs> she lived to be over 105 years old. And then, you know, later she moved to the U.S. in 1907. Very early on when she was only like 9 or 10 That's years why old. That's uh, she's well-educated in the Western education, you know. So she began studying at Wesleyan. Macon, Georgia. Macon, Georgia. Mm-hmm. Okay. In 1912. At the age of 15. And her sister, Song Qingling, who married Sun Yat-sun. Mm-hmm. Okay. Graduate from Wesleyan. Um, but SML ended up graduating <laughs> from Wellesley. Wellesley, yeah. So, so, Mayling, so I was yeah. confused because I remember it was Wellesley. Yeah. So she went to Wellesley originally um, and was going to study there, but she ended up going and moving to be closer to her brother TV Song, who went to Harvard. TV. Yeah, his name was TV. Okay, TV Song. Yeah. Wow. She met Chiang Kai Shek in 1920. They got married in 1927, but they never had children. Um, she was very active in Chinese politics. She served in the legislature, which I didn't realize. Wow. Translated for her husband and helped build his legacy on par with Roosevelt, Churchill, and Stalin. Wow. It was interesting. You were saying that she was educated in, in English. She had excellent English. She actually um, studied in English almost her entire life. I know. She's probably, you know, what we call like almost like an ABC. Yes. Right? American-born Chinese. Mm-hmm. Um, She spent most of her, I guess, youth there, um, and they made several trips when she was married to Chiang Kai-shek, made several trips to the U.S. to lobby support for the Kuomintang, for the nationalists, in their fight against the Communist. communists. I actually have a little clip of her speaking that I want to play for you, mm. um, and I want you to listen really carefully to this clip, because um, I think you can hear she has a little bit of a accent from Georgia, because she was in Macon, Georgia, right? Yeah. So she actually um, always believed that that brought her closer to the American people. So mm-hmm. when they would make trips to the U.S. to like kind of make the case for the Republic of China among Americans, mm-hmm. um, that was actually quite convincing. Okay, let's hear it. Beijing this morning has had its 28th race. I am speaking to you just as it echoes of exploding bombs have died down. She has quite a quite a, a, a an American accent, right? Mm-hmm. So she was actually just speaking from Nanjing uh, via radio, mm. um, and I believe she was speaking into a uh, what is now a Radio Taiwan International microphone, the central broadcasting system. Really? Yes. Wow! Isn't Amazing. That interesting. interesting. Okay, so she drew crowds as large as 30,000 people. She was featured on Time magazine three times. And in 1952, she also established the Grand Hotel, the first five-star hotel in Taiwan. So that song that we played earlier, the Lü Dao Xiao Ye Chu, the uh, Melody of Green Island, 
um, was actually uh, released two years after she opened the Grand Hotel here in Taipei. Mm. And after uh, Chiang Kai-shek passed in 1975, she immigrated to the U.S. and lived on her family's 36-acre estate in New York. And she visited Taiwan for the last time in 1995, and she passed away at her Manhattan apartment on October 23, uh, 2003, at the age of 105. She was actually buried in a cemetery in New York, pending burial with her husband in China, because as you know, Chiang Kai-shek, he is at Tsuhu in Taiwan, mm-hmm. and they've never really buried him because they've always said that once... They go back to China. The Republic of China takes over all of China, mm-hmm. um, which it never has done and I know. probably will never do, um, then they will bury them together. Wow. So this is like pending forever. Pending forever. They yeah. should just bring her to Tsuhu. Yeah, I would think so too. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very sad story. Very sad. So that is a quick history of Song Meiling, the first first lady of the Republic mm-hmm. of China. When we come back in the second course, I'm actually going to the Feasting's West Test Kitchen. I'll bring you a little recording of my experience this morning um, making her favorite cake. Was it like a bomb echoing? <laughs> <laughs> bomb echoing? I hope not. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we'll see if I bombed or not. <laughs> All right. Here's a song called Hong Dou or Red Azuki Bean by Fang Da Tong Khalil Fang. I may how how the gan so, Shehua Chan Fang the Chi Ho. 我们一起战斗会更明白什么是温柔还没跟你牵着手总过荒芜的沙洲可能从此以后学会珍惜天上和地球有时候有时候我会相信一切 
listening to Feast Meets West. Second course. It's a rainy day in Taipei, and uh, I have entered the Feast Meets West test kitchen to create a beautiful steamed cake. Hopefully, the rain won't have any effect on my cooking times or how wet my cake is. But we'll figure that out in a moment. So what we're making today is the favorite steamed red bean glutinous rice cake of Madame Chen Kai-shek So Meiling. It is called in Chinese Hong Dou Song Gao. So a, I guess a direct translation would be red azuki bean and then loose cake or like fluffy cake. Um, basically, it's not really a cake as you might think of it. It's probably more like a sweet rice flour bread with red azuki beans in it. The first step here is to take two different types of flours. So we've got 300 grams of rice flour, 120 grams of glutinous rice flour, and those are both going in a big bowl. And now I'm just kind of gently using my hands to stir those together with about 60 grams of sugar. So it's a nice, beautiful, powdery mixture. It's sort of like snowy mixture, but not cold or wet yet. Now I'm just slowly adding uh, about 200 cc's of water. I I'm probably not gonna use all 200 of that because it is rainy today. Uh, and I imagine this uh, is gonna be already moist enough. So I'm just gonna observe that closely. Just adding it in batches and continuing to mix it with my fingers. The goal is to get tiny grains um, that can kind of crumble easily when you pinch them. Sometimes we get this with a, a wheat flour consistency if we're making a pie crust. So now uh, I've added all the water that I want to add, uh, not the full 200 cc's, uh, and I'm just gently pushing this mixture through a sieve um, so that it's back to that original light powdery consistency. And that looks just beautiful. It looks like a, a fresh coating of snow on uh, the ski slopes. All right, so now I have my little container here and I'm just going to uh, put a piece of uh, baking paper down at the bottom of it so it's, it will come out of the um, container easily when I'm done cooking it. And on top of that, I put a layer of this uh, rice flour mixture, patting it down. And then I'm just gonna do a layer of the red bean, um, which is, I should mention, this is already cooked red beans, so it's sweetened uh, and soft. So then another layer of uh, the rice flour, and I'm just alternating layers until I get to the top. All right, one final layer of the red beans on top and my little container is ready to go. So in an electric pot, now this is a Taiwanese electric pot, we call it a Da Tong Dian Guo. Uh, so in this electric pot, I'm adding three cups of water to the outside of the pot, which is gonna help me steam this cake. Now I'm just turning on the pot, and once it steams, I'm gonna place this container inside and cook it until the pot turns off. I'm guessing that's gonna be about 45 minutes or so. So that's that. Super easy. Um, I may have failed though, however, in the final step, which is figuring out how long to cook it, because it's not really a science. You know, there are no markings on the outside of this uh, electric pot, just you measure the time by how much water you put in the outside of it to steam it. So hopefully I put the right amount 
we're gonna find out. Uh, we're gonna let the cake cool after it steams, and then we're gonna slice it up in our third course in today's Feast Meets West. Will I be successful? We'll find out in just a moment. Okay, Ellen Chu, are you ready? Of course. I have this little container here I'm going to pull out. All right. And this is what you made. This. Oh, it looks like it. Does, have you had Songgao before? I did. I told you my dad's favorite. Oh, goodness. I hope it's He would, you know, order properly. this wherever they offer this, you know. And then he would actually miss this, too. So I was going to go to the Grand Hotel and just buy one there because they sell it there. And I was like, uh -huh. why not? Let's make it hard on myself. Okay. So I made you one. Well, you know, this is our, you know, famous test kitchen for Feast Meets West. You know, we can't just let it sit, sit there and do nothing. That's right. We got to get use out of that kitchen. Otherwise, yeah. nobody's gonna. So I'm just lifting this cake out of the container. Wow. You know what? I'm going to cut it. I think you're going to cut it first. I think I'm going to cut it first. Yeah, it's going to be hard to lift the whole thing. And it's this very white, uh, kind of like the rice cake. And then on top and inside, there's like chunks of red bean. Ooh, it looks beautiful. Well, there are chunks all the way through, Ellen Chu. Mm. At least that was successful. So which is the hardest part? I think the hard part is knowing whether or not it's done. <laughs> so Okay. Well, you know, I'm going to try to be Jiang So Ling right now. <laughs> you know, wanting to eat this, you know, the favorite little dish called Song Gao Hong Dou Song Gao. The red bean Song Gao. Okay. And he's going to cut it and offer it to the first lady. Ooh. Oh. You dropped my red bean. Oh, sorry. Woohoo. Wow. There you go. Let me smell it first. Mmm. A strong smell of red bean oozing out. All right. Moment of truth. Mmm. 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 I think you got it right. Ellen Chu is much better than I expected. Really? <laughs> Why? Well, Which part of it don't you think that it's not right? So when I made it this morning, because it actually made a ton more filling than I expected. Mm -hmm. So I put it in a small, but I only had a small container. Mm -hmm. So I steamed it for a shorter amount of time, thinking mm. it would be, you know, I wouldn't need to steam it as long. But when I opened up the steamer, it was still kind of raw. Okay. So I steamed it for longer and then just prayed. And then it came out the right way. Exactly. So <laughs> how long did you steam it total? 45 minutes to an hour? 45 mm -hmm. minutes. 45. 50 minutes, roughly. Uh -huh. And then it steamed it. I think it the time when itself. my mom actually made this before, I think she steamed it for a long time. She didn't use like a rice cooker. Mm -hmm. She used, you know, over the oven. Oh, right. Yeah, so probably an hour, yeah. I'm guessing. Mm -hmm. Is the consistency right? I think so. But I think you could put a little bit more red bean there. Mm, I didn't have enough. Because they usually do it like across. I didn't have enough. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's good. Do you think uh, soulmating would approve? 
Would she shake her head and be like, not quite, try you know, again? A perfectionist like her would probably want it just the way it is, okay? <laughs> she would say, good attempt, but... Try harder next time. Exactly, okay? So what would you accompany this with? Would you have it with tea or with coffee or... Tea, because if alcohol. you have like the three-layer, you know, filled red bean, it's going to be sweeter, is so, it, so this isn't quite sweet enough either? No. Okay. So I think, you know, it will have to be paired with tea. Is the cake itself sweet enough? Maybe it just doesn't have enough red bean, and that would bring up the sweetness enough. I think it just doesn't have enough layers of the red bean, because, you know, every bite should be, like, full of the red bean taste. But for now, you know, there's area where there's less or very few red bean. Gotcha. All right. Well, is a good first attempt. Yes. We will try harder. It's not an easy thing, you know, and I don't think every mom or, you know, every woman in Taiwan, you know, tried this before. Yes. You so know? I am, I'm not every woman in Taiwan. They would just go to the <laughs> Grand Hotel and buy one. <laughs> Excellent point. Maybe we'll do that next time, do a little and comparison. Comparison, right? Yes. That's what I was thinking. All right. Well, that was fun. I enjoyed that. Yes. I hope you enjoyed it too. I enjoyed it. And we're going to leave you with our addresses today. Yes, definitely. So please do write to us, P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Email us at androo at rti.org.tw. And next Saturday on the feast, we'll have something for you to chew on. Did you know that chewing can really help stimulate your brain? Yes, I knew. Also, we are going to be celebrating a big milestone next week, Ellen Chu. Really? Uh, the birth of chewing gum? Yeah. Is it? <laughs> Something like that. Okay. Something special for Feast Meets West in particular. And we will tell you next week in okay. our show. It's a little something to look forward to. All right. So. All right. Before we go today, one final song. And this song is called Jintian Jia, Not Going Home Today. And it's by Yao Su Rong. And this is from 1969. So All I'm right. guessing this would be a song that maybe So Meiling would have listened to. Yes, I think this is a song that my father actually listened to, too. And, well, it's actually debut at 1969, a year before I was born. Really? Mm. So there you go. So maybe you listened to it, but after you were born. I know. Maybe it was listening in my cradle. Yes, or maybe in the womb. Okay. <laughs> All righty. All right. Well, for Feast Me Sust, I'm Andrew Ryan. This is Ellen Chu. We'll see you next week. Bye.
Thank you for listening to Radio Taiwan International, broadcasting from Taipei, Taiwan. Check out our website at english.rti.org.tw. Again, that's english.rti.org.tw for the latest news and features from Taiwan. You can also listen to our programs and watch videos as well. Our 60-minute English language program can also be heard every day at the following times and frequencies. In southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 9405 kHz. Again, that's in southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 9405 kHz. And in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. Again, that's in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. We'd love to hear from you. Please send your comments to P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Again, that's P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Or send an email to rti at rti.org.tw. Again, that's rti at rti.org.tw. Also visit us on Facebook. The address is fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International. Once again, on Facebook, we're located at fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International for videos, photos, and news of interest from Taiwan. Thank you once again for listening to Radio Taiwan International. <laughs> 